0: You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, Well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. (sighs) All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris.
1: Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com.
0: And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 300, Dirt E, of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously just not ourselves.
2: I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Pixie Stick Confiscator Dan. (laughs) 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 It's like a title like Witchfinder General, you know?
1: (laughs) 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 Pixie Stick Finder General.
0: (laughs) Somehow I feel like that's oddly appropriate for this episode. Uh because <laughs> tonight, before we start diving into our march madness, we have a very special episode where we're going to be talking about
1: something. In in the dirt. The dirt.
0: Dun, 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 dun.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> nice. That sounds very foreboding coming from a child like that. It does. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a, like You know, if I just said, you know, there's something in the dirt, you're gonna be like, what, like, dog shit or something, but a kid says that, and it's like, it could be
1: anything. (laughs) I found something in the dirt, guys. You have to come see this. Like, uh, no, thank you.
0: (laughs) I told my son that I was about to go podcasting, and he was like, I want to go podcasting. That's so much fun. It's like, all right, dude. You, you can help me do some stuff and uh, so yeah I recorded him doing that intro bit and then he's also <laughs> going to be doing our outro but yeah tonight we are talking about something in the dirt the newest film from uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and I'm I'm, I'm excited I'm um, so excited I, I realized that I trailed off as I was saying excited but it's because my coffee hasn't actually kicked in yet so there there is that excitement there's just not that awakeness yet
1: I also love that we started this off by referring to Dan as like the pixie stick finder general and we're not even going to like follow that up and give context with it. We do not have (laughs) time for context just like
0: this movie. We're only going to give you exactly what you need to be confused Uh, and and uh, yeah, I love this movie and there's so much that I want to say. But I'm also aware of the fact that it's still on the festival circuit. So we have to be careful with how much we actually say. Yeah. So we're going to be splitting it into two. Uh, But yeah, because we are a little limited on time today, we are going to go ahead and uh, dive straight into this. So uh, Something in the Dirt premiered digitally at Sundance at the end of January. But because, uh, because the episodes that we already had scheduled, we're only just now getting around to doing our review of it um so it's been uh, a month and a half a little over a month premiered on uh, January 23rd
2: so and it shows because some of my notes are I'm like I wrote the towns and I'm like what the f*** did I mean by
1: the towns? <laughs> I know I'm sitting here reading through my notes too that I tried to write down to keep in mind I'm just like man uh, I
2: don't <laughs> put this out on physical media so I can rewatch it and know what I mean <laughs> the towns <laughs> the
1: towns that, that's another conspiracy we need to solve in this episode. They have struggle struggling here already. It's not as
0: funny as it's supposed to be. And yet it's breaking me. Uh, yeah. So it, it premiered Sundance on January 20th, 23rd. And we're only just now getting around to it. Um But, uh, yeah, it it is a great movie, and much like Dan, I cannot wait until it's either on physical media or streaming somewhere so that I can actually dig into it again, because mm, we're going to get into this in just a second, but I feel like something in the dirt more than any of the other Benson and Moorhead films that I've seen so far, and I think the only one that I've not seen yet is Synchronic, I feel like this one needs the most rewatches Not to understand the story, but to like soak everything in and get the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. So if you've ever seen any of the Benson and Moorhead films, you know that they make emotionally and deeply personal films that masterfully blend introspection with just a dash of cosmic mind fury And this holds true in their newest film, Something in the Dirt. Made during the pandemic and all of the, imitation, all of the limitations therein, Benson and Moorhead are putting their acting chops as well as their writing and directing on full display as the weight of the film is carried squarely on their shoulders, with the vast majority of the film being just the two of them in an apartment sharing stories about their past and about their current shared experience. Something in the Dirt is the kind of film where I just want to dwell on the experience and cannot wait to return to it to absorb even more of the film itself as well as the overall cinematic universe. If you've ever seen any of their previous films, this will certainly broaden your view of their cinematic universe, which, boy, I cannot wait to get into what I think this means for the rest of their movies, but that's going to be in the second half of the episode when we're getting into spoilers. But if you've never seen any of their films, don't worry. You'll still be able to fully engross yourself in this film without feeling as though you're missing context. It goes without question that we recommend checking this film out, either while it's still on the festival circuit or once it eventually has a wider release. So tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different than how we typically tackle tackle our reviews. If you know, uh, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that we love getting into that deep dive analysis, where we take the tiniest of things and talk about all of the "ooh, what if this? What if it could mean this?" and we spend more time than the actual runtime of the movie talking about what we think the movie could mean. We love analyzing things. We love getting into uh, just just getting into it with the movies. But something in the dirt is still. On the festival circuit again, it only premiered a little over a month ago, so we're not going to be doing that with this episode. At least, not in the first half. The first half of the episode is going to be a a spoiler-free review where we can talk about some of the things, like the acting, cinematography, some of the sound design, the general feel within the context Mm -hmm. uh, of an assumption that you've seen at least one of their other films. Um, and then after we get through that spoiler wall, then we're going to be diving into uh, that much deeper <clears throat> analysis, and that's where we're going to be yeah, talking. Which
1: I'll about. say, yes, even for the spoiler stuff, I'm still probably going to be as vague as I can, like mm-hmm. just in case somebody decides to listen through. Because I feel like something in the dirt is a movie that I didn't really know hardly anything about, um, other than just the general synopsis, and that it was mostly in one room, and um, <clears throat> and so, and I think that it really works so well if you go into this not knowing what to expect at all oh yeah Um, once once we
0: get to the spoilers it's going to be like a very heavy like we're going to spoil this movie if you are someone like me that doesn't care as much then you can listen to the rest of the review and and be fine with that then you can go in with that sort of like pre-analysis but mm. if you are a normal person who does not want a movie spoiled, then then you can cut it off once we get to that spoiler wall, because we'll have effectively reviewed the entire movie. I feel like fairly comprehensively just lacking some of our you know standard video monsters analysis.
2: Mm.
0: All right. So uh, Eric, you already started giving some of your prior information that you didn't know anything about it. So my prior information is I've seen Benson and Moorhead films before. That's it. this is uh, the kind of movie that that's the only prior information that I needed uh, because all of their films have a very similar tone and they have very similar um, uh, plot devices in terms of how they use the universe and how they use time even though all of their stories are very unique and I don't feel like I'm just rewatching the same movie I definitely Mm. feel like I'm going into a very specific kind of movie and uh and that's all that i knew and that that's (laughs) all that i needed because that's what it is Mm -hmm.
1: that's why i like i always get so excited every time they come out with a new movie because they're usually making movies on a fairly small budget even when they do you know have big stars in them um like with synchronic but their their movies are just so ambitious you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, because I can't go an episode without mentioning James Cameron. It reminds me of the <laughs> quote that always comes up when I search James Cameron and gifts, where it's like, if you set your goals incredibly high, then even if you don't reach them, you'll fail above everyone else's success. See, and, and that I, don't, is, uh, I don't... If you try to lasso that big thing in the sky with a rope... Sometimes you'll get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Sometimes it will drag you along with it. So I don't think that they try to do things outside of their grasp. I think that they, um, I think that they have such epic stories that they want to tell Mm. and they have, you know, limitations in what they can do. And so it forces them to think about how do we make sure that we tell the story that we want to tell, In a way that does justice to to just watching a movie, Mm -hmm. but also to the story without feeling like they're taking shortcuts, without feeling like they're cheapening anything.
2: Yeah. They're smart enough to know what exactly it is they can do mm -hmm. without having to do something that looks stupid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, they're so, never yeah. going to have that big giant Cthulhu entity come down from the sky because they don't have the budget for that type of shit. Well, yeah, because so, I don't so feel like that's their that Feeling movie.
1: of existential dread but that yeah, you would get from the, seeing Cthulhu.
2: Everything that feels like that type of story without having to do the without having to rely on a big weird special <laughs> effect that comes out. I mean, how many times have we seen a low budget film that goes along so well? And then they reveal something, and you're just like, oh, God, you did not have the money to make that look right. Yeah. <laughs> it takes you out of it immediately. Yeah. Well,
0: and and with that, like, I don't ever feel like they are having to tell a different story than what they set out to tell. Like, it never feels right. like they're having to change what they want to do. Um, and also, if I ever actually saw, like, a giant Cthulhu coming down out of the sky, that wouldn't be their movie. That's not the kind of thing they make, because one of the things that I love so much about um, and we're already starting to get into the movie, so I'll say this and then Dan, we can get some of your prior and then pick right back up here. But one of the things that I love so much about how they handle their stories is because they are so character focused and even if they have a bigger cast, they are so focused on just a handful of characters and their experience with this weird shit that's going on. So there's just enough of the... Well, wait a second. Is this going on? What's happening? There's enough of a question to not know what's happening. And if they revealed the monster, to me, I just... I would be a little bored with it with this style of movie. Other movies that do very similar things that then reveal the monster... I think are great because of how it works, uh, just as a, an example, because you know it's tangentially related, questionably in the same cinematic universe. but after midnight, when that monster is revealed, that is <clears throat> perfect, and it needed to be revealed when it did and how it was yeah. and and i I love that movie more than I can possibly say, and that movie, you needed that monster. It also, you know wasn't like some giant earth eating monster that controls all of space and time. So, so yeah. Uh, all right, Dan, what's your prior information with, uh, um, not synchronic. That's not what we're talking about with something in the dirt slash. Benson's um, podcast.
2: I have seen all of their films. I love this duo. Um, the first one I ever saw was spring when someone just described it to me perfectly as before sunrise in a Lovecraft story. Mm hmm. And I'm like, I am one thousand percent on board for that, and that's the story they told. Um, very interesting, romantic. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as saying it's a romantic comedy, or you know, but there's 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 meat cute. It's it's a lot of those same mm-hmm. tropes that are in romantic comedies, only it's done their way. Um, so then I, I went back and watched um, their their first film. Then I've just
1: followed along as they've gone and they're all so goddamn good. Yeah, they really are. We we covered Spring uh, as one of the very last episodes we ever did in person, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. um, back before the pandemic hit uh, for our Love and Monster series and uh, that movie rocked me. Like that's the kind of movie where it's like take my favorite movie of all time before sunrise and make it a creature feature and it's like you just created something like that is the ultimate chocolate and peanut butter movie for me. Mm-hmm. It's like that is like that is entirely my shit. And something in the dirt I found is also entirely my shit, but in an entirely different way, which yeah. I found like it's it's kind of incredible to me the way that they manage to like hit on so many little like niche things yeah. that I love in movies that feel like they're making movies particularly for me. Yeah, I was um, gonna say that's
2: that's how the endless feels for me because I like you know big cosmic horror concepts, and I also really dig on weird ass cults
1: yeah i mean the endless is is great too yeah. like it's it's the kind of thing where it's like spring i spring was my first one and it mm, it's it's been my favorite up until something in the dirt something in the dirt may have surpassed it mm-hmm. honestly to just go ahead and say it
0: so um, I, I probably have the weirdest order of how i watch them for me the endless was first and yeah you saw whereas, at like knox
1: horror fest right
0: yeah i saw it at knoxville uh whatever year it came out um so, I saw The Endless and then Resolution and then Spring or Spring, then Resolution? I saw both of those uh, around the time that we covered it. Um, I think you watched Resolution
1: before I, we I did Spring. I
0: think that I did too. I just can't exactly remember because I think that I watched it I in preparation. That, I bet that for. made Resolution
2: really interesting, though.
0: It, it, well, so I knew going into The Endless that it was a follow up of sorts to Resolution. Uh, and <laughs> so, like, there wasn't any sort of big reveal because. Because I already knew that, but again, it didn't tell me anything about what was happening and the way that some of the things turned out in the endless. It only gave me more questions going into resolution, uh, mm-hmm. and and yeah, it it only deepens that story. It didn't spoil anything for me, uh, but yeah, yeah. something in the dirt. It's I don't want to say that it's their most ambitious film, however because of how they made it and when they made it and all of the pre-planning that they had to go into it, it might be their most meticulous film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> that's one of the things that I think is, uh, to just add a tiny bit to my prior information, going into this, The like Dave Lawson, David Lawson Jr. was on our podcast back in you, you, October. You I mean
0: uh, the Mayor of Video Monsters, David Lawson the Jr.? The Mayor of Video
1: Monsters, yes, of course. I'm sorry, my... <laughs> I did not show my due respect, David. I apologize. Um, <clears throat> please don't reprimand me. Um, yeah, so he had told us... This is a movie that basically was just me, Aaron, and Justin for most of it. I was holding the camera and they were doing stuff. It was just the three of us in an apartment for like 90% of the shoot.
0: Yeah, and and that's it. And That, that so, was the only thing that we knew. Yeah, and so it was like, was, ooh, <laughs> mysteries, tell us more off mic. And he said, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was sad.
1: <laughs> and um, it was it was great because, like, in my mind, like, I f-ing love movies that are just set in one space. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I love the challenge that that presents for a filmmaker, where it's like we have to make something interesting but set it in all in one space. So I was like, I'm so down for this. So I was expecting something that was really really confined. So I was kind of surprised by the scope of this thing. Mm-hmm. They really they leave the apartment a lot more often than I would than I expected. Um, but a lot of times it's still like they're just like on the roof or they're hanging out, you know, <laughs> out on the street or something. So it doesn't feel like it's, you know, like they're going to all these different locations. They're just kind of running around L.A. And it has this really kind of shaggy, uh, <clears throat> somewhat verite vibe to it to a certain extent. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Um, but, yeah, so I think that I was just kind of surprised by how big this movie was. And I don't know why because I've seen – all of their other movies before, so it shouldn't shock me that they, you know, expand the scope beyond even the realm of reality to a certain extent. But, um, but yeah, that just was such a great surprise for me that, like, even whenever they're making a pandemic movie, they can't just they're they're so like, <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think of the way to say it. they they just it's almost like how we talked about a cloud atlas where it's like they're constantly trying to transcend the conventions that they are working with um i just i love that so much they very
0: very very intelligently did not make a pandemic movie and you know at the the beginning of the pandemic it made a lot of sense that there were a lot of filmmakers who were doing uh you know like the the world is infected and we can't go outside style movies or like zombie movies or there were a lot of the things that played very 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 heavily on the pandemic itself (laughs) And, and I think that's good. And I think that we needed those films, especially at that time. But they also, even as I was watching some of them, felt dated because it was like, okay, yeah, we're living yeah. in a pandemic where I don't go outside hardly at all just because I don't, I don't want to risk being around people right now. And, you know, this was like early days of the pandemic. And, and so it, it felt dated because it was like I'm already living this. I don't yeah. necessarily want to watch this. I enjoyed some of the ones that I saw. I don't mean to knock any of those <clears throat> movies. It was just a very unique experience of living through what was being shown mm. and and that sort of, alright, I've got enough of this. Do I really want to watch it on a movie? But it's, with something in the dirt, it does not feel like a pandemic movie it feels very much like this could have been made years before the pandemic started but just hadn't gotten on the film festival uh, circuit yet like it, it feels very mm. much like the film that could have been made as soon as everything came out of lockdown and everything was open again and there were no uh, questions about like being around other people and like everything's fine it feels like it could have been made then nothing about this movie feels like they were restricted by the pandemic Because they smartly worked around that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The brilliant thing about this movie, I think, is that it does feel like a pandemic movie while not being explicitly. I literally just said it doesn't feel like a pandemic movie, dude. Well, I mean, but like what I'm saying is when I say pandemic movie, what I mean is not even necessarily (coughs) about a pandemic at all. Uh, Well, I guess you could say it is sort of a pandemic of fucking. Anti-intellectualism, well, um, But it feels like <laughs> yep. so of the moment in a in a much more timeless kind of way, because it feels of the moment in a way that we're like currently grappling with, like with uh, it's, it's got that general sense of unease yeah. <clears throat> that we yeah. have in our day to day lives that
2: we can't always point a finger as this is what's causing me to be anxious today
1: just life has caused me to be anxious. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And and the thing, like, we haven't really said what the movie's about, which is kind of <laughs> hard to say nope, what the movie's we're, about.
0: We're, we're not talking about that specifically until we get into the spoilers because, much like you, I didn't know anything about any of the <clears throat> plot going into this.
2: Well, I mean, you could could say, as a plot point, that two guys who live in the same apartment building who have never really talked to each other discover something weird yeah and they try to figure
1: out what it means right and they try to figure out what it
2: means and and i alluded
0: right and i alluded to some of that with like they've got some of that cosmic stuff like the rest of their films so that's why if you've seen any of their films before you know what style of movie you're getting into if you've never Mm. seen them before then yeah this is still vague enough that it's hopefully not going to spoil anything but yeah it, it is two dudes trying to grapple with what is
1: yeah exactly and the way that they handle it I feel like is so perfectly of the moment but also being something that would not date itself in the future Um, Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of where the finally you know went down that rabbit trail and figured out how to get to that point so yeah good good Eric good job
0: (laughs) right right good Good. I'm glad you're on the podcast. Uh, One of the other things that I feel like really worked for this movie is the fact that they have made resolution before. Not saying that this is the same movie, but their first movie, like it was two dudes in a single location grappling with the universe is weird and what the hell is going on, but that wasn't the plot of the movie and oh man. Okay. So uh, I'm going to talk just a hair about resolution because I feel like that gives enough context for, um, for something in the dirt without spoiling things that then maybe we can dive into a little bit more once we get past the spoilers into the analysis. But I love, love, love that resolution is about one guy trying to get clean off of drugs and his friend helping him. That is what the movie is about. Period. Full stop. It just so happens that there's also some super weird time distortion cosmic fuckery going on and how it impacts their journey and how it only like, you know, uh, serves as a bigger example Of what like all of humanity is going through within this microcosm of what they're going through and and the way that those themes play off of each other is perfect and amazing and i love resolution so so very much it might be my favorite but that might just be you know the uh, first film very diy style of it but i adore that about resolution the fact that their first movie was dealing with a small cast, very character driven dealing with some other issue. And then this other thing is then a part of it and how that shapes their journey. That is very much what is also going on in something in the dirt. So it's these two people that, yeah, their journey is a lot more uh, centered around this weird thing that brings both of them together. But that's not what the story is about and not really a spoiler but more of a heads up you don't really get what the story is about until much much later in the movie and mm-hmm. and that's ah we we need to talk about it but it's again a spoiler but this is yeah. a movie that unravels itself in in such an interesting way that the movie that you watch at the beginning is not the movie that you're watching by the <clears> ending <throat> and and mm-hmm. And, and that's I, pretty much all. Oh, that's God, how you can describe so all much. their movies
1: too. Like, it's, yeah, especially this one. Especially that's on the that's
0: the thing. You could describe it that way, but especially this one, it is not the same movie by the end. And and I, and, I, and I love it for that. I love the fact that they shifted my expectations while I was watching it in a way that feels very natural, and also in a way that when it happened, I was I was a little taken aback. Like, wait, what have they just done? oh man this Uh in fact in in my personal notes not the episode notes i wrote hmm this feels very much like this kind of a movie a type of movie that i typically hate Uh are they going to go down a route (laughs) that i am going to end up kind of being bugged by a little bit or are they going to handle this in a way that makes me say oh bravo by the end and Mm -hmm. bravo by the end it uh it it's, did not fall into the typical um uh, shortcomings of a certain style of film that i
1: typically absolutely hate I, sh- I wonder if you're if we're talking about if we're thinking of the same we, thing because we there were a few we times are. where i had something in my notes where i was like oh i hate it when movies do this i really hope they make it work and they make it work so beautifully like that and that's that's the thing i love i love shit like that so much whenever you can take a trope uh, that I typically find completely distasteful or just something that I can't ever like grab hold of in any way. It just feels like a cheap way to tell your story for like shock value or whatever. And then you can twist it and make it fit within the universe of the film of the story you're telling and make me care about it in a way that I usually don't like that is always, that's just so impressive to me. And this movie does that beautifully. Yeah. Like, it's so incredible. Uh, um,
0: we we might be talking about slightly different things, but it is something that you have mentioned uh, in our chat before about the style of the movie.
1: Okay. Um, oh 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 yes yes okay I, that too yeah I, I'm a little more forgiving with that, but anyway this is great podcasting talking around <laughs> things. We're just giving we're giving the audience so many uh, so many threads to follow here that they're trying to we're we're really the goal of this episode is to create a mystery for the listener yeah. at home to piece together
0: yeah exactly
2: so what's, the, what's um, the line from the film like every time you try to make a thread connect more threads just appear yeah exactly <laughs> that's perfect um uh, let's,
0: let's talk about this super quick uh since you've already brought up our uh our illustrious mayor um david lawson jr i just want to point out that he might have the greatest credit in imdb for his character <laughs> yeah. He is attractive man on cell phone. Yes, that that is the name of his character. They made sure to add in attractive man on cell phone.
1: I noticed that when I was watching the movie, I noticed that in the credits, and I was like, "Man, I didn't even catch Dave on the phone at any point." So I don't. Did you hear his voice? Oh, it's because he was too attractive. I just, I, I, I mean, that's the thing. I was it. just, I was just so you hear. Yeah, I guess you just hear his voice, and you just immediately picture how beautiful he is as a person. But <laughs> I didn't even catch that it was him. Uh,
0: um. <clears throat> right. So the movie, uh, Dan, what do you want to talk about first? And by first, I mean, whatever number we're actually on. Oh,
2: uh, what do I want to talk about first? I want to talk about the visuals. Let's talk film.
0: about the visuals of this. Good film. idea. Yeah.
2: Because one thing that I love that they do about their films is they have a tendency to focus on certain objects that have other meanings, which yeah. kind of give you a clue as to what's going on, but you're not entirely sure. Um, one, of images, one of my favorite images in this film is the nesting dolls that are like a wind chime. Yeah. yeah. Such an interesting, you know, symbol of what might or might not be happening in this film. Because, like they said, they want to try to put everything together. Mm hmm. And, I mean, that's what nesting dolls' sole purpose is, is they're just, you know, stack them one inside of the other. And in this film, that never happens to those nesting dolls. They're always kept apart by literal strings, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're hanging. Right.
1: It's such so, a great motif that, like, I yeah. didn't even really catch at first until there's a moment in the movie where they sort of draw attention to it a little bit more, and I was like, "Oh, that's such a per- it's a perfect visual metaphor. Like, yeah. it's a, it's a great way to both call your shot and put a punctuation mark on the film, where it's like, this is everything you need to know about this film lies just in this little wind chime nesting doll thing. It's so and great. it's and it's a thing they do throughout their films. I mean,
2: the endless so I, we alluded to it already has a very interesting scene involving a rope which is just a bigger, thicker string. Yeah. And you you never see what's pulling that. And so they one of the things that this film is starting to do a little bit more that they've done in other films is that they're starting to really bring attention to the fact that something is pulling the strings that you're probably never ever going to see. Mm -hmm. And it might be them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> one, of my, one of my one of my favorite comic books of all time is a ca- comic book called Animal Man by Grant Morrison. Is he's a DC comic character that can control gets animal powers, hence the name Animal Man. Sure. And in Grant Morrison's run, he started to become become a very meta aware character. Like there's this one scene where you flip a page, like the character starting to have a freak out about something that's going on because his life is going to shit, and he feels like something's being pulled, pulling him in all these weird directions. And he flipped the page, and he is staring directly at you. And he just says, oh, my God, I can see you. <laughs> and for the issues of this run, he is fully aware he is a comic book character. And that, he's, that some twisted motherfucker is ruining his life for stories. And yeah, that other well. people are there enjoying it, and how angry that makes him. And the last issue of the book, he literally comes into
1: our world and confronts grant morrison <laughs> about very uh, dark tower-esque <laughs> it, it is it is done much better um <laughs> <laughs> how dare you sir no that's fine i know
2: i know but it's i i feel like at, at, with this movie they're almost moving into that direction where yeah. they're starting to show you we're the fucking puppet masters uh, you know 100% they're, every unseen thing you've seen in our films that you're like what the fuck is that It's been us. It's always been us. There is something that once we
0: get to the spoilers, oh man, Like I I hope that we have time enough for it because I very much want to talk about the implications that this movie, again, potentially uh has on their other films. Um,
1: It kind of feels like this movie is them taking the piss out of their own work but in a way where it's not like we're dismissing it. It's like... I, I mean, we'll get into a little bit more in the spoiler wall, but it basically like feels like it is, it's kind of uh, making fun of themselves in a certain way and the things that mm. they've done in the past and like making fun of how seriously people would take some of this stuff or at <laughs> least how seriously they would take it. <laughs> you, you mean who would know. like dedicate podcast episodes to it? Exactly. No, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. They're making fun of us.
0: Um there, there are a few conversations, one very, very specifically, where the exact dialogue that they're saying, I feel like is a thing that they said in pre-production when talking about the name of the movie. And Yeah, probably. Yeah, it feels very
1: metatextual in, it, in a it way that doesn't real. draw attention to itself.
0: Yeah, it, uh,
2: it exactly. feels great.
1: Um, yeah. So one of the things that I noticed immediately was that this movie does such a good job of um, <clears throat> it's constantly uh, showing you close ups of objects in this room that they're in. So like there's um, it, it, it basically feels like it is trying to, uh, you know, in typical filmmaking language, it's like if you're putting a close up in, it's usually like insert shot and you do it because you specifically want the audience to notice this thing it's like this is something you need to pay attention to because this is going to be important to the story later on and in this movie it feels like they do that with every single object in the room Mm -hmm. and it does it in this way where it's like oh i need to pay attention to this and this and this and you come to find and it you know kind of to a certain extent by the end of it it's like all of these things had meaning, but also they may not have had any meaning whatsoever, <laughs> which just feels so appropriate to the story that they're trying to tell. Like it, yeah, like it really draws driven, you in. Yeah, like the water yeah. dripping corner. It's like, oh, what could, what's coming
2: out of that water? Yeah, what's so, that? What's that going to be? Or like, and then speak. shitty apartment.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then like the the sound design like amplifies all of that so well. Like the movie opens with the the door, or, the, you know something with the door. And it draw like it really wants you to notice the creaking of the door and the fact that it doesn't quite close all the way, and mm-hmm. the way that they do the sound design of the door is it is so it's so loud, but it feels like um, it feels like it is heavier than it has any right to be. Like it feels <laughs> like it is carrying the entire weight of the movie on top of its frame to a certain extent. <laughs> and um, and yeah, the, the sound design and the well, visuals just draw you in so don't much. Don't worry, like, Eric
0: they've got a <clears throat> handle on it.
1: They do. They do. It's very true. That's the, that's a good thing. They don't, they never tear that handle off. They
0: never <laughs> become never <clears throat> <pretty big>. unhinged.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, uh, they kind of get a little, the unhinged, filmmakers in a good way.
0: The filmmakers um, never become unhinged,
1: <clears throat> but yeah, like it's just, it's a movie that, especially for a pandemic movie. And again, it shouldn't surprise anyone who's ever seen any of Vincent Moreheads films, but like they really pay attention to the details so much and it draws you into this world so well that like at a certain point you start to realize that a lot of the that the mystery of the film isn't necessarily the mystery that you're following and may not actually mean anything at all um and it never feels like the movie is like i was never frustrated by that like i feel like you could go into a movie like this and if by the end of it they're like no it, that's not really what this movie is about people could like react against that because it's like, no, this is the movie I wanted. I wanted a f***ing paranormal activity movie or something. Um, and they're like, no, 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 that's not what this movie is. This is more about how these characters are reacting to the circumstances that they are put in that are like, there's something going on that is beyond their beyond explanation. Yeah. Like there, they cannot not figure out.
0: There are a lot of movies that will do something like that, where you're watching one movie for the majority And then something happens in the last 20 minutes, whether it is like completely changing the tone of the film or, Mm. um, or doing something to essentially, you know, yank the yank the rug out from under the audience. And when that happens in most movies, I, I get a little pissed because it's just like, Oh, come on. Because it,
1: it's a hard it's a hard thing to balance to be well.
0: Well it so often feels like it wasn't a natural part of the story being told or how it was being told. Like it never right. felt like it had purpose. It for the most part, and I'm talking about other movies, just for clarity, most other movies when they do something like that, it feels like the filmmakers are just kind of fing with you. But yeah, not in a way that makes sense for the movie. In <laughs> um in, in something in the dirt. When there are some of those changes, whether it's changes in tone or changes in theme or changes in um in how the movie is actually being shot and presented, like any of the changes that actually take place, they feel well they they feel like that nesting doll. they feel like this has always been a part of what is there. It's just we're removing this outer layer, and yes, what's yeah. inside is <clears throat> almost exactly the same thing that you were just looking at. But it's a little bit different, so it's not technically the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, each layer that's removed, you still feel like you're looking at that same nesting doll. You're just looking at a very, very different perspective of it.
1: Yeah, the nesting doll again is so perfect because it feels like you're you're hyper focusing, like you're moving in, right? Like you're getting closer and closer to to something. And, uh, the, and yeah. the way and,
0: that they did this movie, it feels like a lesser movie would have started at the end and given flashbacks to explain Mm -hmm. how they got to this point. Yeah. And I love that they didn't do that.
1: Yeah, they don't do that, but they also very smartly build suspense to the final moment in a way that doesn't reveal exactly what's going to happen, but you know, that you you know kind of the general, like, direct... It's kind of like how Stephen King writes his books. He knows the general idea of where he's going, Mm. (laughs) but he doesn't necessarily know how he's going to get there. Which, this movie doesn't do that, to be fair, but that's how you feel as the audience. You have a general idea of where it's going, but the path there is so unclear, and it feels so surprising as it unfolds. Because, like you said, like how most movies will have that twist at the end. This movie does that like every 15 minutes. Yeah.
0: Well, and And it
1: does it in a way that never feels like a cheat and always is like delightful because it's like, Oh, now I'm suiting. Like now I have no idea where this movie's going and I love it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh,
0: So um, I want to get to back to the sound design in just a second. But as both of you were talking about the visuals and how this movie like really focuses you in on one specific thing that matters, but does it, of course it doesn't, but it does right I think I don't know which again it's done so well Um, I I feel like Benson and Moorhead are really really growing with every single movie that they do and something in the dirt possibly more than the rest feels very Edgar Wright esque in the sense that the first five minutes of the movie are the movie like Mm. if you you, yeah yeah, if you pay attention hyper focused to everything that happens in those first pieces that's the movie.
1: The but, movies are structured like an essay. Like they have a thesis statement right at the beginning of the film. It, whether you realize it or not, the thesis statement is right there. And then the film is just like walking you through the points to get there. Right. It's, but it does
0: it in such a way that even if you're like hyper-focused, those first five minutes aren't going to spoil the rest of it. It's only once you get to the end, you're like, Oh, that's what that opening piece meant. That's how this tied yeah. in. And, and again, it's so masterfully done. And, and it feels, you know, the uh, the old adage: you have to understand the rules before you can start breaking them. Yeah, it feels very much like Benson and Moorhead understand the rules of Chekhov's shotgun. Um, yeah, like yeah, you introduce the gun in the first act. You better can use it uh, by by the end of the book, uh-huh. and they do, and they understand that. But they also understand everyone kind of Mm -hmm. understands checkoff Shotgun at this point. Mm -hmm.
1: They also always do it in a way that is completely unexpected. Right. It's it's never the way you expect it to go. Even they lead you down like like they make you think something is going to happen a specific way and they're like immediately cut they like change gears right at the last second and like oh cool awesome.
0: Yeah so not only do they use it in a smart way they also understand that people are expecting that but (laughs) Again, unlike other movies that do this poorly, other movies are like, oh, yeah, we're going to focus in on this because we know that, you know, you're supposed to pay attention to something that we're focusing on. So we're just never going to use it. Isn't that so clever of us? (laughs) And it's like, no, no, it's not other filmmakers. It's not clever when you focus in on something and then don't use it unless you know how to do that right and how to do that in a way Mm -hmm. that by not using it, you are actually still fulfilling its purpose and that's one of the things that benson moorhead i feel like have gotten so much better with over the years is they introduce these things that whether or not it whether or not it um uh resolves exactly in the way that you expect it to it has a purpose just yeah. maybe not the purpose that you want it to be or that you expect it to be. And that's part of why this movie, even when it starts taking some, uh, some different directions and how the story is being told, never feels like it is breaking the movie. And it never feels yeah. frustrating. <clears throat> it all feels so just, again, just so natural.
1: It's really incredible how well they tie every little thing together organically into the story that they're trying to tell. Um, like that's that's the thing that just blows my mind with this movie is how tightly structured it is despite the fact that it's almost two hours long which seems really long for this type of movie um, and how well it's like even if there are these extraneous pieces they're extraneous by design yeah and it and again like you said in a way that doesn't feel cheap or gimmicky it, it feels perfectly baked into the precise story that they are telling and it's just it's I'm sorry guys I'm just like I'm try not to gush too much over this movie but man I'm just so blowed away by how well it all comes together
0: well let me um, say this about the sound design uh, before we move into just a couple <laughs> of more things on the spoiler. About side? The act that like
1: the, the characters tiny little bit beforehand we've gotten almost an I, hour into this and we haven't done that yet
0: that's why I said I want to talk just one more thing about the sound design then we can get into a few other non-spoiler things before we then uh, really dive into th- just, just a couple of things that I feel like oh it, it is going to hurt me if we do not get to analyze some of this all right so the sound design very 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 early on in this movie the the thing that made me realize okay so let me take a step back again going into this i love benson and Moorhead films i knew that i was going to enjoy this unless they just you know completely dropped the ball which i wasn't expecting so i already knew that i was going to enjoy this But the point in this movie where it like really grabbed me and I was like, oh, oh shit, like this movie, it is, there is something special and disturbing about this movie. It was uh, right at the beginning when Benson and Moorhead are talking to each other outside and you hear those wind chimes and the wind chimes are they're wind chimes they are making wind chime noises because that's what wind chimes do and there's nothing bizarre or otherworldly or cosmically mindf**kery about it they're just wind chimes and then you start to hear wait a second no those are like very melodic wind chimes that's that's Mm -hmm. that's that's a song they hmm i don't i don't can I can I recognize the song? I don't know. But that is very intentionally, like, this is playing specific notes. This isn't just random noises coming from a wind chime. There's, there is a design in this. And also, did, did they stick a theremin into a wind chime? What is that <laughs> noise? And just the way that all three of those things were brought together so seamlessly and so beautifully. And again, it's background noise background noise in this movie within the first five minutes had me feeling not only uneasy at where the story might go but like so on board with how they were going to tell it of their ability their ability to mix random very intentional and just kind of weird like all of that was background noise in the wind chimes and it yeah might be so you know the film school rejects uh, one perfect shot. If there was a one perfect noise, then I <laughs> yeah. feel like the wind chimes and something in the dirt would fit that category because again, that tiny piece is the movie for me, and it's just such a beautiful way. All
1: right, mm-hmm. yeah, and shout out to Jimmy Lavelle, who does the score for this film mm-hmm. uh, because his. So you said the theremin, and it reminded me. I was like, oh man, we have to t- we have to mention Jimmy Lavelle because his score. Is so subtle, like it's not. It's it's never really overpowering the movie in any kind of way. To the point where, like, I didn't even notice it for a lot of it. But once you key into it, like the way that it is baked into the narrative is just so beautiful and so haunting and so perfect. Perfectly. Oh, it, re-
2: it, it reminded me a lot of our attempts to communicate in Close Encounters. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where, yes. like, once perfect. you recognize the melody, you're like, okay, now I know how this fits. What else in this will this unlock for me in the film? Yeah, like that, and that is yeah. A and again, perfect he, brought a theremin, like, holy f- he brought out a theremin. Like holy, he brought out a theremin. Of course, that's the musical choice. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, of course, it is. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: And when he did, I was like, "All right, which one of them in real life actually owns that theremin?" Because you know that that was not a prop. That was something that one of them already owned. You just know <laughs> <that> it was. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Uh, All right. So uh, yeah, we should talk a little bit about the acting and uh, I started bringing that up a little bit when talking about resolution and how that entire movie is basically two dudes in a cabin and with something in the dirt. It is, you know, two dudes in an apartment and other places. So they know how to write those characters. They know Mm -hmm. how to have that dialogue and and propel the story without it feeling just like a two hour exposition dump so they know how to write that and they know how to film that but this is the first time that the entire movie is on their shoulders acting wise and yeah. you know in, in the endless, well i mean
1: the endless a little bit but
0: well, there are other but, people in the endless and they have right. to interact with other people and how they interact has an impact and so like they do carry the weight of the endless but it's not just them and, yeah, that's uh, true. And and yeah, I like I think they did great in the endless. Like I, I think that they uh, were great actors and so I wasn't surprised but the way that this had to be just the two of them and mm. how different their character portrayals had to be from the other characters that they've portrayed and yeah i, I think that they did a great job like again They're, within the first two minutes of dialogue it's like oh i know people exactly like this and with them living in la i am fucking positive that they know people exactly <laughs> like this so
1: it's actually it felt, kind of amazing
0: it felt so genuine
1: yeah, it's actually kind of amazing how much they put on their show, like how much they give themselves to do. Like for for guys who are not I mean, as far as I know, I don't know if acting is their passion. I know Justin Benson has acted in a few other like isn't he's he's in uh After Midnight as well, right? And he's in like uh, a yeah. Rebecca McKendry's short film Separation, I think is what it's called. Um But like they don't really acting doesn't seem like to be the thing that's at the forefront of their mind. You know, they're mostly filmmakers, but like their performances in this movie are so good. And I assume part of it is just because it's the two of them and they're actually friends in real life. Like they have this, right from the beginning of the movie, they have this like easy natural chemistry that feels genuine, but it doesn't feel like, you know, because at the beginning of the movie, they're meeting each other for the first time. And there's still that kind of like trepidation of like, oh yeah, I don't really know who you are, but I am going to, hang out with you a little bit, and they they play it so well, but they still have that nice chemistry with one another, and they're still very likable. And I like the journey that their characters go on because they feel like they're kind of like ships passing in the night in terms of their character arcs. I don't know how, if that's the best way to describe it, but the way that their character arcs kind of flip with one another is incredible. And they, the places that they have to go as these characters, like the emotions that they have to kind of mine... Are pretty extraordinary for guys who don't really get in front of the camera that much. Yeah, um, I was I, very, very impressed with their performances, especially because, too, like they mentioned in interviews that they deliberately wrote characters that were nothing like the people that they are in real life. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, because they... <laughs> yeah, this,
2: this kind of ties back into something we've talked about earlier, too, because of their love of a certain word, but they were both um, in the movie contra- Contracted, Phase 2.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Matt Ben's- Mercer... Benson was handsome officer and Morehouse was less handsome officer.
1: <laughs> oh
2: man. I love that. Oh, I love that so, so much. Uh,
1: so and also but I like, like to the, a running
2: gag with them to, to describe something in this way. Well,
1: <laughs> they even do this thing with in this movie too that's kind of fun where like I this movie's clearly set in the same universe, but they've already played characters in this universe. So they really mm-hmm. go out of their way to make themselves look very different. Yeah. And Robert Woods, who's usually in our chat, but he's not today, but he pointed this out before. He's like, they basically just switched hairstyles or <laughs> in the endless, um, Aaron is the one who had the long hair and Justin had the shaved head and then they flipped it, <laughs> and yes. it like, but, which is pretty funny. Oddly, but like that alone actually does
0: have a pretty big impact.
1: It works really well, and also just like the, the like even just the there's so many little details like the glasses that Aaron wears, um like they start off and like they make him look kind of like benign and intelligent, and then just the the way that like those little details on his face like change the way you perceive him as the film goes on. It's trying really hard not to like dive into certain things, but um but yeah like again even with their character arcs, it follows the same thing as the plot where it's like you're you're they're constantly recontextualizing these characters and adding new information where you don't really know if you should trust them or not. And you kind of go back and forth throughout the entire film on whether or not you, you buy into what they're selling or whether or not you're on their side or whether or not you even sympathize with them. And it's really just, it's such a, it's such a great like high wire act that they managed to pull off with these characters.
0: So I, I would say rather than you don't know whether or not to trust them, the way that they portray these characters, it feels like you should trust them, but maybe not necessarily believe them. And, mm. and like, they, they, it's such a weird dichotomy. Or even like,
1: a lot yes. of times the trust aspect just comes with the way that they interact with one another too. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah like that's the thing like, is everything that they do, it feels so like, oh yes, of course I trust what they're doing. But then, <laughs> especially as things start to get uh, unraveled towards the end, you're like, wait a second. It can, I believe everything that they're saying like I don't Mm -hmm. I don't want to stop trusting them but mm,
1: I believe believe that that? they believe what they're saying
0: right yeah the uh, one of the things that's so great about this movie and a lot of it does come down to their performances but some of it does also rely on the fact that like we know that they are friends in real life the the way that they interact with each other um, you forget very quickly at least I forgot very quickly that these two characters just met like it feels like a buddy mm. movie. It feels like a uh, not really a buddy comedy, but like it feels like a buddy movie where it's these two friends that have been it friends. It starts since off childhood. as a comedy. This
1: movie's really funny. Oh, it's at, funny throughout, like, but it's not some like really a funny comedy. shit in this movie. <laughs> there, there are
0: <laughs> funny things that happen. I would not categorize this as a comedy, but it
1: was at the beginning. It kind of is, but
0: it feels like a buddy comedy in the sense that like, it feels like these two people have known each other since they were kids. And it feels like they have all of this background And so then as more and more gets unraveled throughout the movie, you're like, Oh, right. They don't know anything about each other outside of what they've experienced with each other and the stories that they've been sharing. And as again, more and more starts to be revealed, you start questioning how much of their lives do we know and how much of it was an act. And, and again, like the way that that's done, so naturally and the way that it's done in a way that it never feels like they're breaking character. It never feels like they are just changing the movie just to mess with the audience. Yeah, it, it takes the movie seriously. It respects the audience intelligence, but also they're having fun with, all right, you think you know where this movie is going? Cool. Now let's try this. Mm. And then they start going down that road. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Of course that makes sense. Now let's try this. Sure. Still on board what about this okay that's just silly but sure why not let's go <laughs> and,
1: and and it works and I love it. it it's it's amazing there's a certain point in the movie where it's like you're totally on board with what they're saying you're like yeah okay that makes sense and then at a certain point you're just like um okay like it's amazing how much it forces you to also kind of like, view the movie the way the characters are viewing the situation that they are in where you're constantly like trying to piece it together and figure out certain things at a certain point. You're just like, I don't know if I want to learn more. <laughs> like, yep. Like I don't know. Like I, I felt all, the way that they do in the film, like trying to piece together all this stuff. And it's, it's amazing too how the, like, like I had said before, uh, what we we're kind of getting at is like the movie presents a certain mystery at the beginning but then it shifts that mystery over to the actual characters, and like that's more what you're invested in by the end of it, to the point where there's a a scene at the end of the film, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is something incredible that is kind of happening around the characters that the characters are not paying any attention to whatsoever because they're so focused on each other. And I think that's such a brilliant way to visualize your journey, or at least my journey with this film, where it's like, I didn't even really care as much about this, like, phenomenon that they're investigating i just want to see like how this relationship plays out
0: well and like that's what i said uh comparing it to resolution where the story is about them it is about their experience it is about their interactions with each other it is about getting to unravel the mystery of who they are so you are invested (laughs) in these characters i'm curious about the like real cosmic mystery but i was invested in them And and the way that they are able in all of their movies to to play off of that to play off of the very deeply interpersonal you're following this movie because you give a about these characters and also cosmic shit and like I I love I (laughs) love the fact that they are so focused on the characters I mean even with spring. Both of you uh, compared it to after midnight, not after midnight, um, before midnight, before after, which is before sunrise. Thank you. (laughs) I can't ever remember. Before midnight is is part of that. I yeah, and I couldn't remember which of the ones uh, from that series. So um, the way that both of you compared spring to before sunrise, it's like yeah, the entirety of spring is about these two in relationship with each other and you know that that meet cute as they're falling in love but should they and should they trust each other and then this other huge piece that comes into it you're like oh wait what and and the way that it is done only intensifies the emotions between the characters Mm -hmm. And they continue that in something in the dirt. The, the weird stuff that's happening the, uh, the, the things that are happening inside the apartment, outside of the apartment, not directly related to them. It seems to only intensify as their relationship and their interactions with each other intensify. And it's just such a great way to have that visual language signify the emotional intensity of, of what's happening in the scene, but also you don't need the visual because they're able to act it and you're able to get that intensity just from their interactions and in ways that uh, like you said Eric they almost aren't paying attention to what's going on around them during a few scenes I was so focused on Benson and Moorhead and their interactions with each other that I wasn't paying attention or at least I didn't care about these other things that were happening around them even though it was like blatantly obvious what was happening around them just mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't the focus and, and their balance of that, I feel like, is great. Um, yeah. All right. <clears throat> I want us to start getting into spoilers. Is there anything else spoiler free that either of you want to mention before we try to tackle as much as we can in our spoiler territory?
1: Spoil away. Spoil it.
0: Alright, so, spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you've not yet seen Something in the Dirt, spoilers, huge spoilers. We're going to be talking about the ending of the movie. We're going to be talking about how this movie potentially has an impact on their other movies spoilers all the spoilers if you've not yet seen it and you do not want this movie spoiled spoiled <laughs> i know how to words. Spoilered, yes yes my coffee's was kicked it. in you got uh, right. but i still don't know how to words if you do not want something in the dirt spoiled stop listening now absolutely check out something in the dirt all three of us loved it and there's no question that we recommend checking it out as soon as you possibly can spoilers 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 all right so uh Whew. All right. Let's start with uh, let's start with some of the minor things that I just kind of want to get out of the way because it's not as important. The thing that I alluded to earlier of when they introduced this, I said, "Man, I really hope they don't f it up." Uh, found footage when they had the woman (laughs) saying like when it cuts away and it has almost like that pseudo documentary style and, and it starts treating it kind of like a found footage movie. I'm like, Oh no, I hate found footage movies. That was the moment I keyed in so
1: hard. I've like, I I was so on board as soon as like the, the interjects with like a talking head where she's like, yeah, they're just, they have this big cosmic puzzle that they're trying to solve And they're just going to mash those puzzles. I'm getting this so wrong, but I just remember it's like they're trying to mash these pieces together. And they might have like hit on certain things that are maybe correct. They might have gotten some of them lined up, but other things they just tried to make them fit. And I was like, that's the moment where I was like, that's the thesis statement of the movie. (laughs) The introduction is over. The first act is done. Here's now we're getting into the meat of it.
0: And for me, during that scene, my initial reaction was, oh, God, no uh now <laughs> that was my initial reaction yeah and and i because it's really a found
1: footage movie that's just not shot like a found footage movie it really is like yep to a certain extent the way the structure of it is we're telling you that by the end of this film someone is going to be dead yeah and but we don't know who it is we don't know how it happens we're just alluding to what's going to happen and that's such a brilliant way to build suspense to know that this is going to go off the rails so hard
0: see and for me that's one of the things that i hate about found footage is to me it does not build the suspense because it tells me everyone's going to die it's like all right okay yeah sure like it it takes away the suspense there might still be some of that uh like like a jump scare suspense during found footage movies but it it takes away the weight of the movie if i know everyone's going to die so, first off, the fact that they're only like, one of them is going to die, then there is a lot more of the, ooh, okay, how, when, who, which one, er, mm-hmm. uh, but also, I, I feel like I need to emphasize this, my, oh god, gnome, uh, it did not last long, in my nose, yeah. I was like, <laughs> mm, if it goes this direction, ah, uh, I'm not gonna love mm-hmm. it, however- see where it goes and very quickly the way that they started handling how they were shooting the movie and what it was revealing mm. about the characters then I was like okay yep I'm I'm on board I'm fully on I love board that it turns it, it into a
1: movie Thank God it, um, I love that it turns it into a movie about making a movie because that's one of my favorite subgenres too, like mm-hmm. Ed Wood or whatever like this movie starts off as like their first thing scene where they're like hey we should make a documentary about this And then they go buy like cheap equipment and they're trying to put it together and they f*** everything up the first time. Like that feels so much like as someone who's made like just cheesy ass movies for my classes in college. Like that is so accurate where it's like, okay, I think I know how to do this. And then you hit every single wall along the way and nothing works out the way you expect it to. Mm -hmm. And it just works so well. And it's so funny to see them try to like figure out how to do this. Yeah. and, and again, the <laughs> Like way when that he's they trying to play... put the camera on the tripod and it keeps falling, like every time it falls, it's hilarious.
0: <laughs> well, and the way that they played with some of that found footage stuff without making a terrible found footage movie, like they even do the thing that I typically hate in found footage where it's like, okay, stop recording. But the person keeps recording when they mm. did that. I, I laughed because it made sense within the context of what was happening here because it wasn't a shitty found footage movie. Again, yeah. thank you, Benson and Moorhead, for actually making a great movie uh, rather than one that was frustrating.
1: It, but like, I, it I uses love- the cinematic form well because it's jumping between the different cameras and stuff rather than just right. limiting your perspective to whatever they're shooting. And even the sh- the way that they shoot it is like so good character building because you can tell like the through the way that they shoot... like what they care about. Yeah. They kind of talked about this a little bit in the interview that i watched. So I'm not, I didn't, (laughs) uh, this is not an original idea by me, but it's the kind of thing where you, I feel like you clock it without realizing it to a certain extent you can yeah anyway. like
0: one of them is very structured and you know like has the nice mm. camera and the, uh, the the shots are framed appropriately and it feels like they're making a movie um, yeah. but then the other one is just like using his cell phone and like everything <laughs> is like Dutch angled and just kind of like you know it's moving around because they're just walking uh-huh. the camera so yeah like it definitely reveals the characters through what you are seeing and, and it gives you more of the this person is very formulaic and and they uh, they have a certain way that they go about things, and this one is much more free spirited and free living. It gives mm. you that without needing them to specifically say that about themselves. Right. Uh, the uh, what was the oh um, the conversation that I mentioned earlier of it feels like they've actually had this conversation. The the conversation they have about what the movie should be named, I feel like that was an actual yeah. argument that <clears throat> someone in their production team actually had like i guarantee you that at one point someone <laughs> said we should call it something in the air and someone else said no that's fucking dumb like i i just i, I feel that even, as they were saying it it's like ooh, this is too true for y'all isn't it
1: it's funny the way that um i think it's aaron who plays john i think i got that right uh aaron Moorhead plays john and he, whenever he first suggest the title he goes let's call it something in the and there's a pause and like because the movie you're watching is called something in the dirt you kind of expect that to be what he says and he's like light <laughs> and he like puts his hand up like this and I'm like it's just so funny uh, <laughs> oh, it's,
0: it's so good uh, the, the part where they keep reshooting the same scene over and over because like they're trying to get it right yeah which, again makes sense with what you know so far of they're trying <clears> to make <throat> a documentary Mm. that scene later when it starts getting revealed that, spoilers, 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 that maybe they made some of it up. Like, oh my that God. gives you a <laughs> heads up of maybe what's happening can't be the most reliable in yes. trying to manufacture the emotion of how they're presenting something. And, and again, like, it makes sense with how they show that to you of just getting a line of dialogue right. You know? The
1: part... Yes, where um, the part where they're interviewing that one guy, he's like one of the editors or something, I think if I'm getting it right. But he says like the way that they reveal that what you're seeing is unreliable, you know, that they're unreliable narrators or whatever is basically just like somebody's being interviewed and he's like, so then why did you uh, why did you recreate some of the why did you recreate the footage yourselves? And, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, I literally out loud said, oh, shit. Mm, (laughs) Because I was like, what we're seeing might not actually be real. Like, it gives the movie this ambiguity that that's the thing where I at first, like, that's the thing that could so easily get fucked up because it it veers very close to the thing that I hate, where it's like everything you're seeing is playing out in a character's head. You're just seeing, like, some sort of uh, literal literalization of their emotions, on screen right. like they're you, visualizing you also, what their emotions are you hate
0: the dream sequence reveal at the end of it was or all dream, in their yeah. head nothing was real right
1: i hate that because it gives you nothing to latch on to it's like i if i if none of this is real then why should i care but in this movie it's so organically folded into the story because what you're seeing is still something that they're creating so it's still like um show it's like still giving you a kind of a doorway into their minds to a certain extent. Like it's revealing something about the characters that they're so into this. They're so into the idea of exploiting the supernatural thing to become famous that like they are wanting to recreate this. And it also builds into the the whole like this movie's all about these characters kind of starting to, in trying to figure this out, they're buying into these conspiracy theories. They're creating their own narrative based on their own limited perspectives. And um, at a certain point, it's less about like trying to figure this out for real and more about like, I need to validate this experience and explain it in the only way that makes sense to me because it's the only thing I have control over in my life. Yeah. And the fact that they they uh, do that and make it ambiguous and make you question everything you see on screen is a brilliant way to to show that and also a brilliant way to put us, the audience, in the same exact perspective as the characters. So it's like, I don't know what's real and what's not and I want to piece this together and I'm emotionally invested in this trying to figure out what's actually happening. It's just, it's so, on a meta-textual level, I find that to be so incredibly brilliant and and i was so invested in this movie i'm sorry i'm ranting go on oh no no it's fine
0: so uh two super quick things number one i find it fascinating that you and i approach found footage and dream sequences like so drastically differently if you're like oh it was all in their head it wasn't real whereas for me Mm -hmm. it's like ooh, yes it was all in their head what does this reveal about who they are because of my psych background and for you with your journalism background it's like oh they are documenting everything of course that makes sense i love it one of the things that i loved love love (laughs) love bridging the two of our approaches to film um the dream sequence that uh, the, the dream sequence that Benson has where it, there's like a fire in oh, it's the, so good so the, funny whatever is happening like there's a fire coming out of the uh, uh, door or I forget exactly uh, how it plays out but you yeah they're like, describing Beach his dream and and you're seeing it like you as audience are seeing his dream happen and we've all seen that in movies where there's a visualization of what the person is describing because that's part of movies and then later when it actually shows them like adding the uh, the VFX on top of what was happening it's like oh mm. they acted out his dream sequence to recreate uh-huh. it with VFX like within the in universe of the movie. That wasn't <laughs> something that we as audience saw. that was something that they as characters mm. recreated as part of the movie. It, it's so so good Good. And yeah, ah, uh, so good.
1: It's, it's one of the things that I really love about the fact that they use a documentary appro- or like a mockumentary mm-hmm. approach, I guess you could say, because it also gives them the leeway to, because they edit it like a documentary where like, whenever they're explaining things, they actually visualize those things they're explaining on screen. And uh, which uh, is, I, I will, yeah, go ahead. Go
2: on, I, I love that too, that you're mentioning how they're editing it. Cause they, they comment in the film that they're on like their fifth editor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: because John well, can't relinquish control to someone else he has to control the narrative which is something that is constantly hinted at throughout yes. the film where he's constantly undercutting Levi where Levi will come up with so su- like first of all Levi is there's a f- funny running gag where Levi keeps getting details wrong throughout the film mm-hmm. and John has to keep correcting him um, but like the, John is constantly every time Levi has an idea or does something, Uh, Levi's like yeah you know I mean sure but also what about this and he's like no I'm going to take control this is my thing and you're just kind of here because I need you to help me
0: yeah and the reveal Um, at the end of uh, Dan like you said they're on their fifth editor the reveal at the end of this isn't the end of the movie because like it it was almost uh, like they were wrapping up. Okay, before I hand this off to some other editor, because I'm obviously not finishing it like and I forget the exact line, but it was something along those lines of what they presented was not the quote unquote finished movie because yeah. it was going to yet another editor and just yeah. the way that so much is revealed throughout this film. I mm. love the way that it gets to the end rather than starting at the end and working backwards because I've seen that movie before it could still be a great movie but I've seen that movie before
1: but Uh, um, the, the one thing I wanted to mention just really quick about the documentary style is it's a really smart way to open up the visual language of the film where instead of like constantly having to keep it within this confined space they can break up the film and make it more visually dynamic by having those kind of asides where it shows you what they're talking about like, there's a part where uh, John's talking about this math book and Pythag- Pythagorean mm. theorem. And then it shows like illustrations of how these things work on screen, like a documentary. But it also um, kind of like lets you into their head a little bit. Cause sometimes when they say something about their past, it'll show like um, home video footage of them, like when they were younger. Yeah. And so it kind of lets you, it kind of gives you that objective, like, this is what was filmed but then also lets you into that kind of subjective subjectivity or like the interiority of these characters and showing you this is literally what they are thinking about while they are explaining this. And it roots it in the characters in a way that kind of shows that like, again, they're trying to, is that literally what they're
0: thinking about? Or is that what, uh, was it John? Uh, yeah. Or is that what John wants the audience to think that they are thinking about? Because that's what he added in in post.
1: Exactly, yeah. But they're also solving this, trying to solve this mystery by not, by like only being able to, to filter this through their own experiences. Like they're not, they're not willing to open up to other outside sources. So it's clear that what they're like, their explanation for things is not going to be completely accurate. They're getting into this kind of conspiracy theory thing to the point where they even like show that John is fabricating certain aspects of his past. Yeah. Like, like he, when he talks about how he had that math book, he's like, Yeah, I had that when I was a kid. I still have it. And then later on, yeah, it's uh, brand new copy. Le- yeah. Levi, Levi's like, Why is there a receipt for this book? I thought you said you had it when I, you were a kid. And he's like, And then John immediately is like, Oh shit. I'm yeah, a and, delu- oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, And
2: then on top of that, they interject the footage of them as actual children. Yeah. Once again, reminding you this isn't just the characters, this is Benson and Moorhead telling you what yeah. they want you to right
1: exactly yeah
2: <laughs> it's 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 operating on so many levels at that point
1: it's so fascinating and that's kind of like what we were talking about this movie is so rewatchable not because like there are so many mysteries and you need to solve the mystery of this movie but it's because like there it's operating on so many different levels that i know that there are certain things that i missed the first time there's
2: always more threads yeah and there's and always they, more anything thread. from this movie just you have to keep remembering that line there no matter yeah. how many threads you pull on there are always more threads
0: yeah and because the movie is so um it because it's so experiential like so much of it is just them sharing their stories like you're along mm-hmm. for the ride and you are just getting to know these characters it's a movie that i very much want to return to to get back into that experience for one because i just want to kind of dwell in their universe but also because i was just you know just along for the ride the first time and it's like oh wait no i need to pay more attention i need to really be focusing on how all of these things fit together uh, because again it, it feels so meandering but when you get to the end and realize this is not meandering this is what the character john wanted you to see mm-hmm. why and so like now there's that mystery of why is this the focus why is this uh what's being presented mm, are, are there more threads or is it misdirect and and yeah there's yeah. so much about this movie that makes and- me just want to go back to it
1: all right, the brilliant so. thing is, like, you want to do that, but you, but like, deep down, you know that there's that it's like unsolvable.
0: Right. Like,
1: as much as I want to do it, I know that there's no real answer there. But I at least need to find answers for myself, which again is what this whole movie is about. It's about the way these characters are so broken and they have nothing to latch onto, and so they buy. They start getting into these conspiracy theories and they fall into this rabbit hole in a way that feels like so authentic, but also so terrifying. Like. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen that kind of explains why it's so easy for people to buy into misinformation and believe in conspiracy theories. Because it's it's all about satisfying their ego and making them feel better and making them feel like they have control over something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just so compelling from a character perspective.
0: Yeah. And how easy it is to start out with curiosity and for that curiosity to turn into obsession – much in the same way that we watch a movie once and then want to watch it like a hundred more times to like yeah. figure out all of those mysteries.
1: There's, there's right. some There was some self-reflection going on while watching just, this movie where I, I'm like, am I, okay? I like, There's a part of me where I'm like, I'm so glad that I have movies to do this with so that I don't <laughs> become like all these people who are out there ta- like buying into this QAnon shit and everything yeah. because like, I feel like if I had grown up with different experiences and had different people raising me or whatever, like I could easily have bought into that kind of shit rather than something that I know isn't real but that I can kind of find solace in and play act what these people are doing in with reality
0: right you could you can have fun obsessing about a movie rather than having your life destroyed obsessing about a conspiracy theory
1: yeah, yeah or yes, destroying absolutely. the lives of other people and you know sure yeah that's but that's <laughs> a whole other podcast all right God, I lo- so, love this movie so much so
0: Before we move into the last thing that I want to talk about, about how something in the dirt potentially breaks (laughs) the rest of the Benson and Moorhead cinematic universe. um, It's just kind of like focusing in a little bit again on what something in the dirt is about. You know, I already kind of mentioned this with Resolution and a few of their other films about how what makes the Benson and Moorhead films so great is it gives you that very personal story where we're following the characters and Mm. we are following their journey and we are invested in them and then cosmic shit just be happening. So like, that's the thing that uh, I was a little worried at the beginning of something in the dirt, if that was necessarily going to be the case because of the way that it was structured of the two of them are trying to unravel this mystery. So At the beginning, I thought, oh, is the entire movie just going to be about this mystery? But as it goes through and as the movie itself starts unraveling to the audience about, oh, Mm. you can't necessarily believe everything that we're being presented because some of it is being manipulated by the in-universe documentary makers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Like, as the movie went on, it became even more clear (laughs) that this movie so, so very much is about the characters. It is about their obsessions. It's about finding yeah. meaning in life. It's about finding purpose. It's about feeling lost and adrift in the spoilers, major spoilers, uh, the way that Levi drifts off at the end of the movie and about how mm-hmm. the entire movie he felt like he just wasn't settled and wasn't at home and that he didn't really have a place in the universe. And yeah. how that literally then has him <laughs> floating away. Yeah. It's so the, good.
1: It's done so well because of the way, I mean again, yeah, because you said because of the way it's written in those characters, where it's like they're both trying so hard to find meaning in this. And, you know, the movie goes really like the the depths that they go into this rabbit hole are insane. And John just absolutely relishes every moment of it like he's like this is what i was put on this earth to do is to solve these mysteries like this is like he there's the great scene where he's like he uh the plant that they have mutates or something and he's like oh my god if i have to die by eating the first interdimensional fruit then that's a good way to go like he is (laughs) all in there is nothing you can say to convince this he's so far down the rabbit hole there's no way he could dig himself out and 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 i love too that when he opens it up it's like it's that morse code like it's like there's no end to this yes. People will just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper and with john it's like the deeper they go the less attached he is the more he realizes like maybe there's something here but maybe i am tethered to a madman <laughs> um wait did i say john levi levi i keep i'm hope i'm getting their names right um but levi is like r- slowly realizing he's like I am so far into this that like I like you said he's drifting away he's trying his best to get out of this and there's just no escape for him at a certain point. Um and it's really again it's really brilliant the way that their arcs like diverge where you begin with Levi maybe you think Levi maybe isn't trustworthy because he's like a convict or whatever and John just seems like the kind of more sincere one or whatever but then by the end John is like the most sinister human being like his face during that confrontation at the end is the most sinister thing I've, you, you know, you ever see in a movie. It's like this guy is capable of doing anything to get his way. Yep. Uh, and
0: and think that he is doing right and think and that th- the yeah, people who he are. He feels in his validated way, yeah.
1: in everything that he does because it serves his narrative. Yeah. It serves and, it. He's so delusional that he can't accept anything other than what he thinks is correct
0: oh yeah absolutely uh and and we talked about this a little bit just in terms of um how this movie is so just following their experiences and how we as audience are seeing what the character john as filmmaker wants the audience to see of what they have experienced and how they're presenting it and so first off that is just like a very um interesting way to follow the movie of not Mm -hmm. even knowing within the context of what we're watching how much of it is supposed to be true and how much of it is supposed to be fabricated. (laughs) The the
1: cosmic stuff is almost the fact that there is this kind of like divine creator over everything, and it might just be John. (laughs) He's like the old (laughs) one of the film. (laughs) He's the one who's just like, you are in my world and I pull the strings and I tell you what to think and feel. It's really interesting that the cosmic stuff is so small.
0: Well, and like Like, especially... especially within in- the context of we're following them just having conversations and we know about them because of the stories they're telling about their past and the footage that is then cut into uh, to what's happening. But again, once you get to that reveal of we're watching the documentary of their experiences, how much of those conversations like had to be recreated and how much of it mm. as they were talking in within the context of the movie quote unquote real life how many of those conversations weren't interesting enough and how much of it had to be recreated and intensified for the movie that they are then presenting and 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 again like it just adds that extra layer of can Mm. we trust anything about these characters but at the same time like you feel like you know these characters so well that's kind of what I meant earlier with you trust them but can you believe them is like I, I feel like I know these characters. I feel like what was being presented was who they are as characters.
1: It's a smart idea to like to have the scene where they mention that there are multiple editors in there. Like there, it, that does kind of leave the door open to like you don't know which cut of this documentary you're watching. If it was even something released, or if it was like a more found footage style thing, and it does leave open the idea that like there could be whatever your version you're seeing, the editor like whoever the editor was could have included all those things where it's like, yeah, we want to make sure we are giving John's or Levi's correct perspective, like this is who Levi was. Um, you know what I mean like it's not like you're only seeing who Levi is filtered sp- specifically through John's perspective. right. you know, like there is some kernel of truth to it. And you, and again, the movie also states that right up front like where it's like there's some truth in this there's some probably some fabrication stuff with that like puzzle piece metaphor, cosmic puzzle metaphor. Um, and it's up to you to decide what you think is real and what's not. And there's something about that, that like, I like the way that the movie gives us permission to decide what matters and what doesn't. Yeah um
0: especially with it being almost a two hour long movie like uh on imdb it's an hour and 56 minutes and that that is a long well it's not that long compared to you know like lord of the rings or something but like that's not a short movie
1: it's pretty long for a movie that's mostly set in one place usually those movies are right there in that 90 minute
0: right and and like i could understand especially at almost two hours, how with the short attention span of a lot of people, they might be like, ugh, why can't this be a much shorter movie? Nothing's happening. I can understand why people would say that, but those people are wrong.
1: It never feels long because as we said before, it's constantly reinventing itself. It's constantly changing your perspective of everything. So it never feels like you're just wallowing in the same thing over and over again. Right. And and, and nothing ever feels redundant.
0: Exactly. And like I said a number of times, Since you are on this experience with them, you it it would be like if you are talking to a friend and that friend starts telling you a story and you know that the context that they're giving maybe doesn't really matter, but Mm -hmm. it's part of their story. And so you're listening to it rather than someone starting a story and you saying, all right, I know that the next 10 minutes is just going to be bullshit. So just skip past Mm -hmm. that and get to the end
1: like is why
0: you you would be a we, dick if you said that to your friend and that's what it feels like with this movie is they're telling their yeah. story absorb that story so you can understand why are they even telling you the story to begin with this has uh-huh. meaning this has purpose or maybe it's just an obsession that they can't let go of either way it it's relevant somehow
1: yeah this movie does a good job of of you know we talk a lot about show don't tell with film because it's a visual medium but this movie does a good job of like where the telling is the showing because the telling of the story is, again, because it's rooted in those personal stakes despite how big everything is around them. Keeping it rooted to those characters, it's like everything that they're saying has meaning. Even if sometimes, I mean, I think the movie does like occasionally, if I had to lobby a or levy a criticism at it, it's like sometimes the characters are so... Um, on the nose about certain like, especially the the final confrontation where they're like literally laying everything out on the table. Like Levi's like, you're a delusional paranoid madman fascist, you know, piece of shit or whatever. And then, you know, there's a certain point where it's like a lot of that stuff is stuff that we get through the context of the film. Yeah, but in but that they moment, are having... it feels so cathartic because it's, you're seeing the characters finally letting all of this stuff go that they've been trying Because they're not really friends. I mean, the movie, it tries to be like about friends making movies, but it's like, no, they're really still through all this. They're still strangers to one another because everything that they do is always like through the context of this experience that they're sharing that they don't really see eye to eye on. Right. Um and, well, and, and in that moment the fact that even though it's on the nose, it's like, no, this is everything that they've been dying to say the entire time. The
0: also entire giving it some of that reality. Like, sure, it might feel on the nose, but that's what you would say if you're in that situation. Like the whole yeah, show don't exactly. tell with movies is don't tell me something that doesn't need to be said from people who wouldn't say this in real life like that's one of the criticisms that i've had with a number of movies like when um when characters explicitly refer to their siblings by their sibling relationship you know like oh i don't know the beginning of evil dead where Uh, uh, the guy walks up and says hey sister what's up it's like you god damn it you don't refer to your sister by saying (laughs) hello sister sibling who was fathered by my father nobody says that but i'm talking to my sister i never refer to her as hello there sister like Mm -hmm. that's not how humans talk yeah but because of the movie needed to get that exposition in there like that is an example of oh you just told me something that you could have shown yeah that is very different from the end of something in the dirt where they're having this conflict and they're saying everything that in the real world, if you were having a falling out with a friend that you've known for at this point, you know, a year or two, because at that point, yeah, they're still strangers, but they've been strangers who have been getting uh, ever closer over the last year or two or however long this, uh, the timeline of the movie is. You, you would say those things if, if you thought that someone was a fascist. You wouldn't just say, "Well, I don't need to say that you're a fascist," because obviously, over the experiences that we've had over the sure, last few yeah. years, that you have been a part of, you know, these. <clears throat> but, like, no, you would call them that. So, yes, there are, yeah, you're
1: unleashing. It's it's a damn breaking moment,
0: right? So, yes, we as audience have seen this, and maybe some of it is calling out the character for the benefit of the audience, but also. It didn't feel unnecessary. It didn't feel, and this yeah. example, it's good screen I mean,
1: it really. I think it's really good screenwriting. Like the thing about uh, Benson and Moorhead and the types of films they make is they are very intellectual. They're yeah. very high concept. They're very much rooted in, um, you know, things that are not super mainstream. And I think with people like that, it could very easily come across as cold or calculating. Or it's like we're focusing explicitly on just the the conspiracy aspect of this or you know what i mean but like in this movie they do a good job of not being too uh detached in terms of the dialogue like it's not like i mean again i'm saying the same thing you're saying
0: (laughs) (laughs) we we do that a lot all right so last thing that i want us to talk about how something in the dirt potentially (laughs) breaks the continuity of the rest of the Benson and Moorhead films, because mm-hmm. prior to something in the dirt, all of their films. So spring resolution, um, uh, the endless synchronic, all of them took place within the same universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the endless and resolution were the only two that had actual overlapping characters in terms of like, you could see directly how this movie directly relates to that movie. But yeah. all of them are within the same world, within the same realm, um, and and that's why Benson and Moorhead like they only played the same characters from Resolution to the Endless, and like why they're not in their other movies because th- they couldn't be because they, yeah. then then they'd have to explain in universe how all of this is working. Like, well, wait a second, how could this be part of the same universe if this character is over here being this other person? something in the dirt changes that they are playing Mm -hmm. different people and yes they look very 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 different because they have different hairstyles but like they are very clearly not the same characters from um from resolution and the endless however there are also a number of blatantly direct references to the endless like when uh oh, i forget which character in something in the dirt is is walking but he's walking down the street and you see in the background not even the background like you see <laughs> the the top half of the screen is a uh is a poster for the in universe movie the the arcadian the acadian i forget which one it was um but uh remove the name and the image is the image from one of the uh, promo stills of the endless where mm. it has the two of them walking and just, you know, in shadowy silhouette, uh, you know, very small off to the right of the screen. And then like massively over on the left, it's this giant rock formation that kind of almost looks like a skull, maybe perhaps, uh-huh. you know, like natural enough, but also weirdly like, ooh, that looks like a thing. Yeah
1: some organized chaos like the rest <laughs> I mean, that's yeah yeah it feels very much within the uh the themes of their oeuvre
0: <laughs> Ex- exactly but because it, and it's not even like a this looks like it could be kind of the same it is exactly the same mm. uh, production still
1: like, yeah, and I didn't catch this when I watched this, so I'm glad oh that you pointed man. this out. Because I could, I didn't really notice any... It's been a while since I've seen their other movies, so I didn't really notice the direct connections to the other films. So. Yeah,
0: no, when I saw that, it wasn't even just like, a, oh, here's a clip, you know, that maybe they could kind of get away with saying it's kind of in the same world. Because if it, if it had just been that, there were other times, uh, like when it's doing some of the quasi flashback where it's using footage from other sources uh, within the movie. um, There are a few times that it shows that skull especially after um, the character Levi finds that skull in the uh, in the ocean, you know, like Mm. that's one of the things that that is kind of comparing it to that would have been one thing if it was just like here is a part of this world that is being shown, you know, almost documentary style that is also a part of the world that he has just experienced. That's one thing. But to have a giant movie poster of a movie that is a real movie in the real world with just a different name, it was so, so blatant and yeah sure. Maybe it's just an Easter egg. Maybe it's just Benson and Morehead uh, and, and Dave Lawson just having fun making this movie.
1: They're, they're too intentional for that. I they're too specific with their films.
0: I like to think within the context of something in the dirt as it's revealed at the end of uh the character john played by aaron moorhead as it's revealed at the end that like he is the one who is the the architect of everything that we've been seeing i'd like to think that he within universe of the movie found his meaning as a filmmaker and so the rest of the Benson and Moorhead films that we in the real world have been watching have been the movies that the character John has made as a way to like explain or just go mm. into more depth this weird phenomenon that he encountered. And he was like, oh, I can make a movie. Ooh, I'm going to do that. That's what I'd like to think uh, has happened, and I'd like to think that their entire cinematic universe is now its own Russian nesting doll of movies (laughs) that take place within the universe of the universe that John created because he made this documentary and then went on to make these other movies. Um, I I, I liken it to uh, Dr. Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloombeam, which, if you've never seen... uh, Yeah. If you've never seen that... That is the movie with Jim Varney, where he is playing a mad scientist, and he's trying to, man, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't remember all of the details. But anyways, he's playing a mad scientist that has a hand on the top of his head, and Uh uh, he, he is portraying other characters to try to capture the protagonist. And one of the characters that he plays is Ernest. Yeah. And the end, spoilers for a movie from 1985. Uh, but spoilers: the end of the movie has <laughs> Doctor Otto as Ernest. So for me, the rest of the Ernest movies are in universe. Doctor Otto still like going about trying to capture this other guy, and maybe <laughs> getting so invested in the character that he somehow then becomes good. Or maybe Uh it's all a ploy and he's actually much smarter than he seems. And the reason everything keeps going wrong is because he's doing it on purpose.
1: God, this is so funny that we're literally doing what they do in this, (laughs) in something dark. we're creating our own conspiracy theory narrative around this to give some meaning to what we're seeing. I, my only hesitation with that reading is that if the poster is already at the theater, does that mean that the endless is currently playing in this at that movie theater, when John sees it, like maybe he went or- and saw the endless, and it helped give him, give him something like, "Ooh, everything is connected. Mm, this is maybe. it." Maybe that influenced him that way.
0: Maybe. Or maybe it it was one of the reshot scenes. Oh, yeah. He put the
1: poster in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he was doing it as a way to self-promote his other movie that was about to come out within the context of the documentary that he's making.
1: Yeah. I'd be curious (laughs) to know if like in that shot, if they just composited a poster in there or if that like I would assume that's probably not the poster that was up there unless they spoke to the manager and like hey can we put a, an endless still on the outside of this theater or whatever i'm like sure it's like either that or they just digitally put it in there so I, maybe it could be john doing that
0: i'm i'm sure that it was digital uh yeah so that's what i like um, to think happens i'd like to think that everything that we've pr- been presented of the prior benson and morehead universe technically Still is I mean, it could universe. be that this
1: documentary was so successful. This documentary, "Something in the Dirt," was so successful that John did springboard that into a film career. Yeah, um, and and he made these uh, this series of movies that are all connected and have all these. And that's what's so funny or, to me. Like or, or, that's why I think this movie better, feels like better. it's a goof on those movies because it's like almost making fun of like how serious. <laughs> how seriously, they take like all the conspiracy elements and how most <laughs> of it's just so absurd. Would you think about it? So
0: even better. uh, What was that Ethan Hawke movie uh, that they filmed over like 10 years? Was that Boyhood? Was that the name of that? Yeah, Boyhood. Yeah. So maybe something in the dirt is the character John's Boyhood where he's been making it (laughs) over the last 10 years and like it's his white whale. It's his great unfinished project, which is why it keeps switching editors and Uh during the process of this movie still not oh, yeah, it yet could finished. be what a
1: recreation that's true yeah well,
0: and while this movie is still not yet finished uh john and levi in universe were also filming movies so like as they're making this documentary they also just as a side project went off and uh created these other movies so they are still playing <laughs> the same characters Sure. but john and levi are playing the characters, quote unquote, for those not watching us, <laughs> the characters of Benson and Moorhead in the universe within something uh-huh. in the dirt, where they have also created uh Resolution and the Endless. Which is why Benson and Moorhead are not in spring or resolution is because uh at at the end of Something in the Dirt, when Levi floated away that was him leaving their production team and so john was like well shit now i can't make movies with him so i'm just going to go about making these other ones
1: um i find that very interesting <laughs> my like in my mind i at least like the idea that something in the dirt is the real world is like set in you know quote unquote the real world And that the other Benson and Moorhead films are movies within the reality of this world. Like it's the kind of Tarantino thing where it's like he has his real world continuity. huh?
0: That's what I'm saying. The movies are the movies that they have created within the world of (laughs) Well, I don't necessarily,
1: (laughs) I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be created by the characters we're seeing, I guess is what I'm saying. But I do love that. Like that is a fun thread. It, It just reminded me of the Tarantino thing where it's like he has his real world continuity and then he has things like kill bill which is a movie that the characters would watch in you know pulp fiction or whatever right like where it's, it's not it's not well, like set when, within the when, reality it's in the cinematic universe within the qt universe
0: yeah like when uma thurman in pulp fiction is talking about like how they filmed a pilot or did she say a pilot or a movie
1: it, 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 i think it's a pilot of a tv show I yeah can't and then, the, then she describes
0: it, and then she describes kill bill like the five de- yeah, they're the five deadly uh, venoms. I I also love th- even just the name of the movie, Something in the Dirt, because when I think of Something in the Dirt, there are two things that I think of: something living or something that has been dead a long time. Like if I uh-huh. think of something in the dirt, I either think of something that has been buried and and then rediscovered, or mm. I think of like a seed that has been planted and is now growing into something <laughs> much bigger. Yeah. And I think that either of those meanings works perfectly for this movie of there was this thing that was buried and now they are uncovering something that has been in the dirt long mm-hmm. forgotten, or it is this new idea that has been germinating and is now growing into something much mm-hmm. bigger and potentially something much more out of their control. And, Oh, I just like the fact that well, both of the things I think of when I hear the name, <clears throat> could work for how this movie. Yeah, I mean,
1: out. it also it's also a good reference to like rabbit holes. You know, we right. always use the term rabbit hole in terms of conspiracy theories. That's literally about digging a hole in the dirt. Um, and I also feel like it works um, for like in terms of the characters because a lot of this movie is about how much they have repressed certain aspects of their personality. Right. And, you know, like how much uh, John tries to forget about like the mistakes he made with his husband and, and especially with Levi, it's like he made this huge mistake with his sister and he has never really been able to get over it. And the making of this movie and working with John and everything like brings all of those feelings back to the surface. It's like these are things that they've tried to keep buried. They're parts of their personality that they're usually not willing to reveal to other people that end up being like percolating to the surface because of the situation they're in. Yeah. So and like, so yeah, so much of the, the it's a, it's such a perfect title for well, this movie. And, and again, also, it's, it's fun that it even,
0: and, and also the mirroring of their experiences <laughs> and how things end for them by the end of the movie. So, you know, again, spoilers, the fact that Levi's sister, Um, You know was high and walked off of a construction site and and fell to her death and then at the Mm. end of the movie Levi floats away and then ultimately falls to his death. So you know like some of those parallels of what they've experienced and how that is then resurfacing to uh, to affect their lives currently it's just such a masterfully done film that it feels like a buddy road comedy. And then goes into so so many different spiraling conspiracy mm. directions and and it is not what I expected at mm. all, but also everything that I expected Benson Moorhead to to, to come out with in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. It's amazing. It's I actually, it.
1: you know, thinking about their character arcs again, I, I mentioned I used the weird metaphor of ships passing in the night in terms of like their character arcs are reverse. Like they pass each other and go in opposite directions, essentially. But really, instead of doing, instead of having them move laterally, it makes more sense for them to move vertically. Where, I mean, it's literally reflected in the film where uh, Levi literally goes up into the sky and falls. You know, it's like an Icarus kind of thing to a certain extent. Where, but but he also seems to find genuine purpose, like he, or at least he finds some kind of closure to a certain extent with um, how he felt about himself. Right. Or uh, maybe it—it it um, feels
0: like by the end of the movie that, le- uh,
1: yeah, he's that no longer Levi's- in denial of the basic. T- t- like he's he's no he's at the very least no longer repressing those feelings. Right. It it feels like um, with alcohol and things because he's
0: within the universe. It feels like <laughs> the right character died, not because I wanted the character of Levi to die, but it feels like his story. Was complete, you know, like for for exactly him to yeah. be the one to float off and you know float off into the cosmos and who knows how far he went before he finally come crashing down. Mm-hmm. It feels like, yeah, his story is at an end. It feels like a good resolution, eh? To uh-huh. uh, to, <laughs> to what it's been. There's happening.
1: something somewhat. Red- it's it's still open to a certain extent, but the, it does feel somewhat redemptive.
0: Right. Whereas um, if John had been the one to float off and die, it would have been like, well, hmm,
1: now nah, that. It feels
0: odd. It it feels like a mistake for for that to have happened to him. Uh, Mm -hmm. And again, not because of wanting one character versus the other to survive, but in terms of the story, it feels like Levi's story was at its end. It feels like Mm -hmm. uh, John's story is just starting to unravel.
1: Yeah, John is John is finally re- like becoming the person that he always wanted to be. That he kind of dipped his toes into the water of like conspiracy with his church and stuff, and then now he's finally like, I am all in. But yeah, like I guess essentially, if they're both starting on a level playing field of the ground, John's <laughs> going further and further down, deep into the earth, and, and Levi is is flying high, and he also, you know, manages just to sort of escape to a certain extent. Like he's uh, he's no longer burdened with this anymore by the end of the film in some way if you have a hopeful a somewhat hopeful (laughs) uh, reading of the end of the film it's still tragic but at the end he's he's, he's been released from this prison that John has put him in yeah Uh,
0: because he's constantly putting him in a box one other thing that I want to make sure that we mention before we close stuff out and uh, this is something Eric that you um, brought up I think maybe you alluded to it a little bit during the episode, um, but we were talking about it uh, off mic is when you talked about how this movie is the first of the Benson and Moorhead films. Actually, no, no, I'm going to say something and then I'm going to correct you from being wrong. You said that this is the first of Benson and Moorhead films that plays with time, but not directly. And Uh. we both forgot about spring and the fact that spring does not play with time.
1: It just, I think it, it I play, think that it time is really important with, to spring. It
0: is, but the time of the universe is not being played with like nothing happens. in spring I guess that's fair, yeah. where there's like a, there, there's no time loops. There's no time travel. There's no, um, it, it is a very linear story, but the line for one of those characters just so happens to start, you know, mm-hmm. thousands of years ago.
1: Yeah, I guess I was thinking more in terms of like life cycle and the fact that time is so important to the character that uh, of is it Nadia or is that the actor? Uh, Anyway, the of the of the woman in the film, like she has this specific life cycle; she has to do things within a specific time frame so there's kind of a race against the clock aspect to it to a certain extent right but so time is really story, important to the plot of that film but oh, it, yeah, you're time, right it doesn't manipulate time exactly
0: uh, but time is vital to all of their stories um, you know resolution endless uh, synchronic all of them have all of them play with the cosmic element of time whether it be through time loops or time jumps or going to time travel like there is definitely playing with time within the universe Mm-hmm. something in the dirt continues that but um the way that it's playing with time is through the cinematic language of yeah. telling the story out of order rather than the universe messing with time
1: and which is which is fun because it is a direct manipulation of time by the filmmakers and yes. it draws attention to the fact that they are the ones literally manipulating time in the way that of course, they are also doing that in their previous films through the writing and, you know. Right. It, it, that's the kind of metatextual element that's really fun is it's like, yeah, we manipulated time a lot in these other films. In this case, we're manipulating time deliberately through the way that we're editing this film together. Yeah
0: which is really fun. And I I love that. I love that all of their films have played with time as a theme. And speaking of time, uh, we should wrap this episode up.
1: Uh, that's probably true. Yeah. There's so, there's so many things I could go on about this. movie. There's just so, I have uh, an incredible amount of notes, (laughs) like (laughs) just into, and like, just in terms of me, like I've been chewing on this movie, like despite the fact that it's been a while, uh, like I've just been constantly mulling this film over and turning it over in my head over and over again. And, uh,
0: yeah it's just i love it so much yeah this this film uh, me in words this film definitely sticks with you and and again not in like an upsetting way not in some of the other uh, movies that we've seen maybe even recently that you watch, and you're just like i feel so uneasy and that feeling is not going to go away it's not like that it's just Mm. there's something about this movie and how real it is and how Almost like Cronenbergian in terms of going down that rabbit hole of of obsession, uh, but without the body horror. Like, mm-hmm. th- there's something about this movie that it just sticks with you, and it makes you keep thinking about how your own life can relate to the things that you just saw on screen. Yeah, which I think it, is it feels part of like what movies are for.
1: It's such a brilliant. Like, it reminds me a lot of like of the kind of conspiracy, like paranoid conspiracy thrillers you got in the '70s. But very much a modern update of that, which is rooted so much in the kind of stuff that we're currently dealing with in this time period, with like misinformation and and people just feeling broken and look, trying to turn to whatever gives them solace in some way. Um, and for so us, yeah, that's it's, escapism.
0: Let's go ahead <laughs> and close things out. Any final thoughts on something in the dirt?
1: Um, it rules watch it. I hope that uh, people have a chance to watch it soon. I'm not really sure what the what the time frame looks like for when it'll be screening again. But um if you didn't get the chance to see it at Sundance, please uh seek it out as soon as you have a chance as soon as it comes out because it's uh, really great. Uh, also if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that we spoiled it for you. But um honestly maybe that would I mean that's when th- I'm excited to rewatch it because knowing the context of everything and knowing what happens and just kind of seeing how much of that is seated throughout the film and like Seeing it from that new perspective, yeah. uh, And
0: also, I said I said spoilers about thirty times, (laughs) going from the spoiler-free. I feel like we also we kept things so
1: vague for the most part that like there are so many things I wanted to get into like the details of, but the fact that we kept it vague, I think at least leaves a lot of little surprises where you can see like exactly how those things unfold because it's a movie of such specificity, and we didn't get into that specificity too much. That uh, there's, I feel like there's still a lot of great little nuggets to discover that we didn't talk about at all because it's just too much movie to to get into all of it in the time that we had.
0: Well, and this also very much feels like a movie that once it is available streaming and and has been out for a little while and more people have had a chance to see it, I feel like this movie is not done with us talking about I'm going to try saying that with words that make sense I feel like we are not yet done talking about this movie I feel like Mm -hmm. once it is available and more people have a chance to see it and uh, and we can talk about it maybe a little bit more um, less spoiler free I, I, we are going to talk about this again i just i know that we are once it's streaming once we have a chance to watch it again even if it's just like a oh hey i watched that the other day and we're about to talk about a movie that's completely different but mm, man having just seen it again oh boy gotta talk about it again i i am confident uh that much like you know the fly or the thing or jaws the benson and moorhead films especially something in the dirt are going to keep resurfacing uh, almost as if we're in a loop about talking about them or almost like exactly. they're obsessed <laughs> and continue to go down that rabbit hole of wanting to unravel <laughs> what exactly is going on in that universe.
2: Yep. All right.
0: Um, during the uh, during the last portion of this podcast, there apparently was some sort of gravity bubble uh, happening around Dan and he has floated away and hopefully he will uh, float <laughs> back down to us <laughs> for our next episode as we start. Hopefully our March... he makes a
1: soft landing when he comes back down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hopefully he will float back to us as we start our March Madness with uh, with our next episode. And that's going to be fun because we're going to be talking about a lot of movies that we have never seen.
1: And good podcasting, a lot of, a lot of Mads Mikkelsen movies to to clarify. That's why it's March Madness.
0: Right, we're going we in trying to determine what movies we're actually going to cover for our March Madness. We're going to be doing a bracket, and we're going to be discussing movies that we've not seen try to figure out which ones are actually going to make it into the final three that we are going to be covering. So be sure to come back for that because that's going to be interesting or chaotic. It'll be a hoot. It'll be something. Or both.
1: Organized chaos.
0: Exactly. And that's what we're here for. Uh, but yes, because Dan has floated away, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at HBO to Front Row. And you can also uh, read all of his reviews and in-depth dive about 90s movies. Uh, you know, a, a very uh, formative time for him uh, it, from a movie standpoint at HBO to Front Row uh, coming of age under the influence of '90s films. So go check out his yeah. work. There. His blog
1: is so great. Like, legitimately, I love reading his posts. I'm just gonna. I love. I'm gonna like l- uh, praise Dan while he's not here because, for whatever, re- <laughs> for whatever reason, when he's here, I'm just like, nah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> no. I love his blog. It's really great. Yeah, so
0: definitely go check that out uh, and and read movies that we have not yet covered on the podcast. And scrolling through and looking at some of the things that he has been covering this should just be like a guide for uh for some of our upcoming episodes because there's a lot on here that it's like yeah Ooh, i wanted to talk about that with dan. a lot of good stuff fun anywho read his blog uh row.com and follow him on twitter at hbo to front row
1: dan uh, not dan
0: you're not dan you're eric eric where do you want people to follow you
1: um i can be found on twitter at the chimerican It's t-h-e-c-h-i-m-e-r-i-c-a-n, That's T-H-E-C-H-I-M-E-R-I-C-A-N. I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y.
0: And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxed at VideoMonsterPod. You can also follow me personally on letterboxed at the gargoyle, That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E, because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, um, then be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Go back and listen to our back catalog. We have over 300 episodes. This was our. You know what? I realized that I never actually explained. Hopefully, people understood it, but I never actually explained why at the beginning I refer to this as episode 300, Dirt E. It's because we're talking about something in the dirt. And I,
1: I'm just realizing... You know what's really funny is you told me you were going to do that. And when you said it, I thought that there was like a hiccup in Discord or something. Nope. And I was like, oh, that was weird. That sounded strange. No. <laughs> it sounded like the, the sound cut out for a second. That's hilarious.
0: Nope. And that is why I felt like I needed to, uh, to clarify that. Yes. At the beginning, that was intentional because we were talking about something in the dirt this just so happens very conveniently or very conspiracy conspiratorially the conspiratorially, episode yeah. 300 and dirt i
1: love how esoteric we began the, the episode of the podcast where we mentioned this and pixie sticks and we're just like nah we're not gonna talk about
0: it uh, um so yes if you enjoyed this episode follow wherever you get your podcast um leave those five star reviews tell your friends spread the word about how great we all are um and then yes, be sure to come back as we start our March Madness series and, and talk about Mads Mickelson. And that's that's gonna be fun. Alright.
1: It sure is, Nathan.
0: Yeah. Alright.
1: I don't know why I said that.
0: That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And uh go watch Benson and of films. Something in the dirt isn't out yet. Don't know when it's gonna be, don't know when it's gonna <laughs> show at other film festivals. But you know what? Their other films are streaming, so yeah, go watch also, uh, um, their movies.
1: Yeah, they've also got uh, some TV work. They did some of yeah. an episode of the Twilight Zone show. They got Archive 81 on Netflix, which I haven't watched yet. Um, they're also going to be doing this uh, this little show that I've. What's it? It's called like Moon Knight, I believe.
0: Never heard <laughs> of it. Don't know what you're talking
1: <laughs> Never about. Never heard of it. Um, Loki season two. I don't know what any of these things are, that's just something I'm seeing. But um but yeah, they've got those things coming up. Those are probably gonna be a little indie indie uh drama Oh uh, see I shows. I thought
0: they were just talking about like they were gonna do a second season of being chill, you know? Like they were being very low key about it.
1: <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> That's what I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> L-O-W-K-E-Y, low-key, scene
0: Exactly. Exactly. All right, go watch Benson and Moorhead films and then come back and listen to us talk about them or go back and listen to us talk about them first because we've covered most of their movies prior. I'm going to stop talking now because uh, this is too many words. So, uh, yeah. Good night, everybody.
1: Yes, Bennett.
0: For this episode.
1: For this episode you in the Monsters.
0: Join us next time.
2: Join us next time. As we start. As we start. March. Mots
0: Madness.
2: Madness.
0: <laughs> Good night, everybody.
2: Good night, everybody.
0: <laughs> Love it. That's so funny. <laughs> 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 yeah, but... Oh, man. I I needed you to get to the end of here and say, I'm so funny. (laughs)
2: That's good.
1: Oh, my
2: God. Beautiful.
1: Yep. My son is awesome.